Do me a favor and look at the carpet underneath your feet. Uh, what, how did we choose that carpet? How, do you know how we got that carpet? I affectionately refer to it as coffee camouflage. Uh, and this is no joke. So we were building the new worship center and we had to choose carpet that went down. And so we got some samples that might do for coffee camouflage. And we literally had some staff throwing car- coffee onto the carpet squares. Let it dry. See which one still looked nice. There's our carpet right there. And the reason why is because y'all with coffee, you're like Kevin with chili. Everybody is going to get to know each other in the pot. I'm serious about this stuff. That's you. I'm up the night before, pressing garlic and dicing whole tomatoes. I toast my own ancho chilies. It's a recipe passed down from Malone's for generations. It's probably the thing I do best. Here it is. Again, I mean, this, that's you with coffee, all right? And we, we noticed it in the big rooms before we had this space. So uh, the big room had just like flat gray carpet, <laughs> so we wanted. And, and, and it looked fine as long as all the chairs were out. It covers the carpet. We would have events where we'd strike all the chairs and you'd see the field of carpet. And it just looked so disgusting, right? And so that's why we went for car- coffee camouflage here. And it wasn't too long after we went, oh, that works. We recarpeted the big room to match this uh, be- because of, of you people, right? So, so the reality is that some, some stains, like, you know, you see OxyClean commercial, some stains are like too much for OxyClean. Like you just can't get it out. And the only thing we could do with that carpet is rip it out and throw it away. It was just too dirty. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about being too dirty for God. Because, see, we're doing this series called Journey, right? Where we're talking about different starting points on a journey that eventually leads to connecting with God. And this morning we're talking about being too dirty for God because some people feel too stained, too messy, too broken, too gross, too dirty for God. And I don't know if it's some sin or sins you did long ago, or maybe it's some sins going on in your life right now, or maybe it's stuff that's been done to you, but either way, you, you are convinced that you are too dirty for God. The only thing we can do is rip you out and throw you away. And that's just, that's just tragic. Can that be the start of a journey that eventually leads to connecting with God? And that's what we're talking about this morning. Now, to get at that, we're going to be looking at one of my favorite stories in Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 7. We'll start out in verse 36, and here's what it says. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. That doesn't sound like an exciting story, does it? Like, that's not a great start so far. But let me tell you what's going on there. First of all, it mentions the Pharisees. Now, remember, the Pharisees are like the self-righteous. They're the super religious elite. They're totally into religion, and they're really good at religion. Therefore, they believed, they knew they were the clean people. And God would be so lucky, so happy to have them. And they worked really hard to stay separated from the dirty people. 
Now, uh, it, it says they invite him. That's, of course, Jesus in context of Luke 7. They invite Jesus to dinner. They had this habit of inviting notorious people over for dinner. Think back in their day, there's no entertainment. There's nothing. And so if somebody notorious is going through your town to have them over for dinner and inter- interact, like that's, that's the high point of your year. And it turns out Jesus was very notorious and he was coming through town. So this Pharisee, we'll learn his name later as Simon, invites Jesus over for dinner. Now, to appreciate the story, there's a couple things you need to know about how that would have gone down in their culture. Number one, you would take your sandals off at the door and wash your feet. Remember, they got animals and dung and dust and and it's gross out there and your feet are gross. Okay, so you're going to take your sandals off and there'll be water there for you to wash your feet. Sometimes they would have a servant wash your feet on the way into the house. Uh, Secondly, thing to know is the the position of the table and the guests. So they would sit at, no, they wouldn't. They, They would recline. So the table wouldn't be like our normal table height. It would be about that high off the ground a real low table, and so you would recline for dinner. You would prop yourself up on an arm at the table here and eat, and your legs would be extended behind you toward the wall. So like if you looked at the table as the hub in the room, all the guests would be like spokes on a wheel with their feet out towards the walls. It'll be relevant. Uh, And the other thing I want you to know is uh, whenever there was a notorious guest in town, what they would do is they would leave the door to the house open and uninvited guests were welcome to come in. Now, you couldn't come to dinner. You wouldn't eat. You could stand along the wall. You couldn't participate. You could listen. This is entertainment, right? You could listen to the conversation. And that's what's going to happen. So let's continue. Verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her, the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So this woman feels too dirty for God. She, but she's on a journey. Now, what we learn about her, notice we don't even get her name. What we get is her identity. Did you catch her identity? Sinner. That's her identity. And, and realize, Greek back in that day did not have capitals and lowercase. It was just one. It was all caps, okay? So you, you can't distinguish. But in our language, this would be sinner with a capital S. No, it'd be sinner like in all caps. Like she is a sinner, Scholars speculate she was probably the town prostitute. And everybody in that room knew exactly who she was. And she's flocking to Jesus, so she obviously wants God. She needs God, but she's been told all her life two things. One, God is righteous, and you are too dirty for God. God's righteous, you're not. He doesn't want you. The only thing he can do with you is rip you out and throw you out. Too dirty for God too stained, too disgusting. No OxyClean can help you. You're too dirty for God. Then she hears of this rabbi. Some say he's the Messiah. And and he's coming through town and she finds out that he's different. Like he welcomes dirty, dirty sinners. 
Somehow she's been impacted by Jesus' ministry. We don't know if she directly interacted with him or just heard him teaching as he walked along. We don't know. But she gets that he's different. She's learned that Jesus is building this band of disciples, not out of Pharisees, but out of people like her. Out of people that we would say are too dirty, too messy, too broken for God. At our church, we have a phrase. We say, redemption does messy. Redemption does messy. And she's learned that. She's picked up that you cannot out-sin God's grace. God's grace is way bigger and way more powerful than her sin, than our sin. So, so there is no sinner that is too dirty for God. And that leads to a journey of faith and repentance for her. So she's overwhelmed by grace. What'd she do? She grabs from her, her house an alabaster flask of aromatic, aromatic oils. This would be perfume, basically. Might have been the perfume that she used to entice men in her trade. Might have been the perfume that she used to cover up the stink of men as she tried to earn some money. Either way, she enters the house. Now the courage of this sister. I mean, I, I cannot wait to meet this woman someday. I mean, think of the courage of this woman. She is crashing the party. There would probably be all men in the room. And she's crashing the party of the good, clean Pharisees. And they would whisper about her, of course. Whore. That's what they say about her. She's disgusting. She's defiled. She is too dirty for God. But that, that's, that's not actually accurate. She's damaged. She's hurt. She's been looking for life. She, she's been finding it in the wrong places. And this is a hurting, damaged woman. She's messy. She's probably been abused her whole life. She's, you know what? She, she needs a savior. And she found one. She found him. And so she has to, she has to get near Jesus. She just has to soak up his grace and his love and his forgiveness. She is drawn to him like a moth to a flame. She's got to be near him. But you can't imagine she's nervous, right? I mean, she's probably, she's probably trembling. She's probably sweating. Her eyes are probably downcast. And as she enters that room, you got to know the conversation stopped and all eyes locked on her what is she doing here so she stands against the wall near jesus feet remember how the table is and how they're laying so she's at the wall right by jesus feet and she is overcome by grace and so she's just got love flowing out of her and worship and gratitude. And because here she is, he is holy. I am not. He is perfectly clean and I am totally dirty. And he should be disgusted with me. And yet he forgives me. He should reject me. And yet he welcomes me. And she's overcome. And so she weeps. Now, I, I, man, I hope at some point in your life, you weep. You, that you would weep over your sin, 
over the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's mind-blowing, you would weep that he would actually receive you? That you would be broken? Like, I, I am praying that God blesses you maybe this morning with brokenness such that you weep where you should weep because you're understanding grace like this woman did. This woman got it and she wept. She wept. And notice this, it, like, she is sobbing. Listen, her, her feet get Jesus her, her tears get Jesus' feet wet, so wet she has to wipe them. Now, that's not some line, little trickle down the cheek. That's not the, that's just like an ugly cry, right? Like it is raining on Jesus' feet. And so she kneels down to wipe that off, and she, I don't, I don't have anything, lets down her hair. She uses her own hair to wipe the feet of Jesus. And then she starts peppering his feet with kisses and anoints them with this, this perfume. Now, this is not body spray. This is not the cheap stuff. This is the expensive stuff in a little bottle. You know what I mean? And, and, and she uses that. It's expensive. She's not a rich woman. If she were rich, she wouldn't have to do what she does. Right? And so what this is, this is reckless worship. This is reckless worship worship. She is passionate. She is emotional. She's overcome. It's public and she doesn't care, but she is just, is his raw worship. There's no frozen chosen in this woman. No way. Listen, she gave Jesus the worship that my savior deserves. She gave Jesus the worship that my savior deserves. Now, she knows, she knows exactly what the Pharisees are like. She knows what she is like. She knows what they would think about her. She knows what they would treat her. But listen, she doesn't care. Matters not what the Pharisees in the room around her think or what they, how they act or how they look at her worship. She doesn't care. She's focusing on Jesus. That's the focus of worship. She's focused on Jesus. And she's running to him with reckless abandon, with reckless worship, and she is experiencing grace and love. Love like she never imagined. Or if she imagined that love, she knew it, it didn't apply to somebody like her. She was too dirty for that kind of love. And, but God said no. No, 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 no. And now she's experiencing that love for the first time in her life. She got grace and forgiveness from God. And she gives Jesus the worship he deserves. It's one of the most beautiful journeys, I think. And yet not everybody thinks it's beautiful. <laughs> so here's how it continues. It says, now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now notice he said that to himself. Those are his internal thoughts. And Jesus answering him, I just love that. And Jesus answering him says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Don't do it. 
Listen, this is what Pharisees do, though. They ought to cheer and they ought to celebrate in that moment. They just watch Jesus work his art. Man, they don't have much entertainment. Can you imagine inviting somebody over to dinner and that dinner guest starts doing party tricks? And blows your, okay, I can make a quarter disappear, right? I can do a little juggling. And if you give me a glass of water, two forks, a toothpick, and a lighter, I can do something pretty cool, all right? Those are like party tricks. And you, you know, like people, oh, that's cool, right? Okay, that's nothing. Jesus is the dinner guest. He just did the most mind-blowing dinner trick, party trick ever. He wrote a story of redemption in front of them for the town prostitute. How cool is that? That's mind-blowing. But the Pharisees, remember, they do righteousness by rules, not righteousness by repentance. And so this woman hasn't kept the rules. She's nasty. She's unacceptable. She is too dirty for God, so they reject her. And they not only reject her, but they reject Jesus. Before this story in in chapter 7, back in verse 16, the crowds proclaim that Jesus is a prophet. Uh, But at this point, uh, Simon says, "Mm, maybe not. And, And here's the reasoning he has. If Jesus is truly a prophet, then he should know that she is too dirty for God. And if he knew that she's too dirty for God, then he would reject her like we good Pharisees do. And he's not rejecting her. Therefore, he must not know that she's too dirty for God. Therefore, he must not be a prophet. That's the logic. Thing is, Jesus is way more than just a prophet. He's God in the flesh. And he knows that she is really, really dirty. Jesus knows she's a horrible, horrible sinner. And he knew the same about me too. And, And yet, he drew both her and me. It's crazy. Because he know, listen, he knows something that the Pharisees don't. He knows that his cross, his blood, his sacrifice, his grace, he knows that is way more powerful than any dirty sin that we would ever commit. He knew that about her. You might be dirty. You will never, never be too dirty for God. The cross of Jesus Christ decimates our filth. It's not even a fair fight. Whatever sin you bring to the table, you're just not powerful enough to take on Jesus' grace. You don't have it in you. Never too dirty for God. And and here's the cool part. Because he's more than a prophet, he knows what Simon is is thinking, right? And and so he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. (laughs) Don't do it, man. Say it, teacher. Oh, Simon. Simon, Simon, Simon. And here's how it continues. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. 
And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Jesus is mad at Simon. And you can tell because he gave him a math word problem. Right? Like, <laughs> you can tell he's ticked off, right? Is that like the worst form of punishment, right? Can you imagine you meet the Savior and the first thing he does is give you a math word problem? Like, that's not a good sign, man. Like, that's just horrible. That's horrible. So let me break down the math for you. Uh, a denarius is a silver coin that is roughly equal to a day's wages for a common laborer. So when you're talking 500 denarii, you're roughly talking about two years of salary. So to translate it into your world, I want you to right now picture your salary, your annual salary in your mind, and double that. That's the big debt, okay? Now the small debt, 50 denarii, would be roughly equivalent to two months of earnings. So get your salary, your monthly salary in your mind, and double that. that that's the small debt. So you got the big debt and the small debt, okay? Here's the thing. Jesus' point is they're both dirty debtors. Did you catch that? Both of them are in debt. Neither of them can repay it. And that's a huge problem in their culture. Because in their culture, when you can't repay a debt, it doesn't matter if you're the 50 or the 500, you're going to debtor's prison or to indentured servitude, like slavery. Doesn't matter the debt. And so Jesus is saying both of them are dirty debtors. Simon and the woman are in some ways just the same. Listen, when, when, let's say you owe $50,000 to the bank on your house or $500,000 on your house. If you can't pay, the bank repos. It's the same result. Both are in trouble. And the point is that righteous, righteousness by rules won't work for either of them. They need a savior. They need grace. They need mercy. They need forgiveness. They need the debt paid by Jesus. Now, Simon isn't great at math, and so Jesus is going to break it down for him. Here's what he says. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. So here's one of the things about Simon. He has an inaccurate view of himself. He thinks he's clean. And when you think you're clean, then you're not really that in awe of Jesus. I mean, you understand, like if you don't think you need a Savior all that much, then a Savior is not that exciting, right? Like if you don't think you're like totally in need of grace, grace is just not amazing. And that's Simon's story. And what we realize is, Simon, we didn't pick it up as cultural Americans, but, but like Simon has been dissing Jesus the entire dinner party, very subtly. So it turns out he didn't offer him any water to wash his feet. That was customary. He, he didn't do that. He didn't give him a kiss. Now, to us, that's kind of weird, but that was their cultural greeting. It'd be like not shaking the guy's hand as he comes into your house, not greeting him properly. And then he, it was customary to give some olive oil to freshen up. He didn't do that. So he's, 
He's dissing him. Listen, when you think that your poop don't stink, the Messiah, the Savior, meh. Eh, you know, entertainment for the night, dinner guests, that's all. Not a big deal. And he shows it by his actions. Now, this is interesting. Uh, so he's dissing Jesus the whole dinner party. Did you notice Jesus didn't say a word about it? He let it go. Until, until it was about protecting this sweet sister, this daughter of his that just came to faith. Now you got him, right? And so here is Jesus. He's secure in his relationship with the Father, secure in his identity as the Son of Man and the Son of God. So he's not goaded by being dissed. But, but you can almost hear him say, listen, you want to come at me? Fine. You come at her, we're going to have words. That's it. So cool. Now, while, while he shows his teeth to Simon, he is so tender toward this woman. It's so cool. He's loving her, the one that is too dirty for God. No way. No way. She thought that, and she's finding out grace and mercy and forgiveness and the love of God. Ah, oh, sweet. And so here's what the Savior says. It says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What I want to do is grab some travel tips for the journey. Four travel tips for the journey that we can grab from this. And the first one is this. You are dirty too, but never too dirty for God. You're dirty too, but never too dirty. See, Jesus, did you catch it in the passage? He said, her sins, which are many. Jesus didn't have to emphasize that. The point, Jesus knew exactly who she is. He knew how dirty she was. And know this, everyone in the room, except for Jesus, everyone in the room was dirty. There was just one woman who was willing to admit it. And therefore, she received grace. Know this, Jesus came for the dirty people. That's who he came for. And if you think you're clean, Jesus has nothing for you. He is divine oxyclean. And if you don't think you're dirty, you'll never turn to him for getting clean, right? That, that Jesus came for the dirty people. Now, sadly, if you think that you're clean, you're as dirty as the rest of us. You just don't know it and you'll never receive grace like this woman did. And so what I want us to do is I want, to qu- I want us to quit hiding it. I want us to quit denying it. I want us to quit trying to put polish on our lives to make it look like we are dirty, dirty people. None of us are clean except Jesus. Now, the good news is, according to this chapter in Luke 7, Jesus came for you. 
And if you think you are too dirty for God, I got great news. Jesus came for you. He wants you. He welcomes you. He's waiting for you. He wants you. Never too dirty for God. Never. And throughout the Gospels, what you see is over and over, the too dirty people are flocking to the Savior. Remember, redemption does messy. They flock to him, right? One of the things that shocks me, I am shocked that our recovering addicts are shocked. What do I mean? Okay, so our recovering addicts time to time say, I, I can't believe we're welcome here. They're shocked. Now, it's based on the fact that, that they've been to other churches where they feel like the Pharisees are very welcome and they are not. And they're shocked. That they're, I'm shocked that they're shocked because this is a ministry of Jesus and this is what Jesus does. Jesus has always welcomed the too dirty for God. People that feel that way. That's how he rolls. That's what he always has done. That's what he always will do. Listen, we are all dirty. None are too dirty for God. So the second tip is this. Jesus makes you clean. The Pharisees, did you catch? They said, um, who is this who even forgives sins? Which is a very good and legitimate question. And the answer is, God in the flesh, that's who it is. And God in the flesh who will go to the cross to pay for those sins. So when he receives her with her mountain of dirty sins, he receives her knowing that he's the one that will hang on the cross paying for each and every one of them. He knows. And he welcomes. It's cool. But that's how she got clean. She did not get clean by cleaning herself up. No, no. She got clean because Jesus paid for her filth and then transferred his righteousness onto her. So, so she is like wrapped in the cleanness of Jesus Christ. And if it can happen for her, it can happen for you and for me. <laughs> Praise God. Don't think you are too dirty for God. No way. His grace, his cross, his blood are way more powerful than whatever dirt or filth you have in your background. You, your sin is simply no competition for the grace of Jesus Christ. You're just not that powerful. Not even a fair fight. And so you come to a point where your basis of salvation will either be the fact that Jesus paid for your filth and transfers his cleanness onto you, or your cleanness that you'll work really hard toward. And I'm going to give you a hint. None of you are clean. Bad choice over here, right? It's really only one choice. Jesus makes you clean. Uh, the third thing I want you to pick up is FKA. You know what that stands for, right? Formerly known as? Okay, think Prince. Diddy, right? Drake. Now we got yay, right? <laughs> Formerly known as, right? So, so listen, you, are, you got an FKA. If you are in Jesus, you got an FKA hanging over your life. This woman, what's her name? Sinner. FKA. 
FKA. Because now she's got a whole new identity. She is no longer known as one who is dirty. She is one who is known as forgiven by God, loved by God, welcomed by God, child of God, disciple of Jesus. Go in peace. That's who she is. Formerly known as, listen, I want you to live out your new identity in Christ. If you are in Jesus, then that dirty identity you have, that's FKA, baby. That's gone. And now you belong to Jesus, and it's time to live out of your new identity in Christ. He told her, go in peace, which means go live a new life. Not your old life. I made you clean. Now go live out your new identity. One more thing. Worship is correlated to forgiveness. Correlated. It's a math term. <laughs> There's a theme. Anyway, it's a correlation, okay? So listen, this woman knew she had been forgiven much, and she exploded in reckless worship. Think about that. She did not care what the Pharisees around her thought or how they acted or how they worshiped. She didn't care. She said, I cannot believe that God would want me. Are you kidding me? And she just erupts. Grace is amazing. The gospel is amazing. Jesus is amazing. Now, Simon, (laughs) by contrast, Simon would say, God is lucky to have me. And religion is nice. Singing to God is nice. I mean, frozen chosen is probably the appropriate way to go. We don't want to get too crazy about this. We should keep this in the safe box, right? Jesus is nice. Salvation is nice. Listen, is your salvation nice? Is is Jesus nice? Are you kidding me? Your salvation ought to be mind-blowing. And to look at Jesus, you're overcome with the gloriousness of our Savior. It's crazy. So does your worship look more like Simon or this woman? There it is. Does your worship look more like Simon or more like this woman? And you've got to be honest about that in this moment. Your worship is proportionate to your understanding of grace. Your worship is proportionate to your understanding of how much you've been forgiven. And that might be convicting to some of you, and I want it to be. It's correlated. If your worship is not raw and emotional and pouring out of you, then it might be that you just don't really get grace. You don't understand how dirty you were, what Jesus did, and how amazing it is. And I want that for you. I totally want that for you. So here's what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to pray. Band will sneak back out on stage. You know how amazing that is, right? I pray, and they're magically back out. So we'll do that. Uh, And then we're going to worship. We're going to boldly approach the throne of God. And in this time, I want you to know, despite how dirty you were, the clean one welcomed you, paid for you, 
transferred his righteousness to you. You ought to be ripped out and thrown out, but he said no. And he did something just absolutely mind-blowing. So I want you to do what you need to do to express reckless worship, raw worship to, to the Savior. This is what he deserves. Where you are, you might sing loud. You might shout and whistle. You might raise your hands. You might fall to your knees. In fact, uh, we don't often do this, but I want you to know, if you want this morning during the closing song, you want to come down here and kneel at the feet of Jesus and weep, come, come. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much. I pray for myself. I can't believe it. Father, may we never worship like Simon, but always like this woman, just overcome by who you are, by what you've done, by your gospel, your cross, the blood of Jesus, our Savior. There's no way we should be in. And yet he did that for us. Oh, Father, could we explode our minds blown could we erupt with reckless worship right now. And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.